The backwoods seem to hold horror stories of all kinds, some that may just keep you up tonight. Whether it be some sort of wild animal encounter, some strange human being lurking in those bushes, or something downright supernatural stalking you all the way home, these stories will keep you on the edge of your toes. If you have a story you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or r slash thedarkswamp on reddit. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Strange Happenings in the Wood by Gaunt Chart Many people who hear this story may find what I'm about to tell them hard to believe. Call it fact. Call it fiction. Call it an overreaction to normal stimuli. Once again, this is an extraordinary series of events, but I figured this might make for an exciting story to share with the listeners of this podcast. This story is a short collection of strange happenings that my dad experienced while in the forest. Things that he and I cannot explain. We have no absolute idea as to what happened. If anyone has any theories, I'd like to know. Incident number one, the scream. To start, let's discuss the first strange occurrence my dad had. This one happened to him in the 70s when he was a kid living in Astoria, Oregon. Now, to people reading this, you're probably wondering what Astoria is like. Well, have you ever seen The Goonies or Kindergarten Cop? That town where the movie's filmed in? Thick Oregon forest bordering the Columbia River in the Pacific Ocean, surrounding the city everywhere. That's basically Astoria. My dad grew up in that town for years and had one strange occurrence happen to him with his friend, which I'll call Eddie. Eddie and my dad were hooligans, constantly getting up to shenanigans trying to do things like ride the empty boxcars on trains only to find that the trains were speeding up and by the time it slows down, they have an eight mile walk ahead of them. They were partners in crime and were best friends because of it. One particular night, my dad and Eddie decided to go camping in a patch of forest near Astoria, not too far from the town, but still a decent distance away from civilization. They didn't have many camping supplies, old blankets, a pack of hot dogs, a thermos full of Kool-Aid and a lighter. That's about it. However, Eddie decided to bring his Manx cat, Gremlin, to keep them company. So, my dad and Eddie walked into the forest to set up camp. They built a fire, and soon they laughed at each other, telling stories and generally having conversation that 70s kids would have. It had been getting late, and the darkness began to descend upon them. According to my dad, nights in Oregon differ from your usual nights. The thick pines and forest vegetation, it all adds a thick black wall of nothingness surrounding you in all directions. The only light they had that night was the glow of the fire. While my dad and Eddie were conversing, Gremlin was acting weird. Gremlin was motionless, staring directly off in one of the directions. His ears focused on something beyond the group's line of sight. All the while, my dad and Eddie heard footsteps around them, from the soft crunching of leaves and that general feeling humans have when they're being watched. These were all dead giveaways that the three were not alone. Suddenly, there was screaming off in the trees. The kind of scream my dad has never heard before and never wants to hear again. The type of scream that no known animal makes in Astoria. The kind of scream that immediately triggers your fight or flight response. The sort of scream that according to my dad reverberated through his body like a gong. At that moment, Gremlin jumped into the darkness and began running. My dad and Eddie were freaked out and immediately decided to get out. And so my dad and Eddie started to run through the dark, thick forest and searching for any sign of civilization, searching for a way out. Eventually, 
My dad and Eddie returned to Eddie's house where the police and Eddie's parents were standing outside. Soon, the grown-ups began questioning my dad and Eddie, asking what all the racket was. As it turned out, many people had heard the screaming and reported the incident to the police. My dad and Eddie honestly had no idea how to explain this to the officers and they told them that it wasn't them making the noise. At first, the grown-ups stood there in disbelief. After all, it's that old horror movie cliché. Some ghost or monster appears to a group of kids and the adults don't believe the kids. And at first, it seemed like my dad and Eddie were in some trouble until everyone started hearing the screams again, coming from the forest. Those same, dreadful screams. At that moment, grown-ups realized that my dad and Eddie were telling the truth. My dad and Eddie never had an experience like that again in Astoria. They just continued living their lives as they usually did after that incident, becoming teenagers, attending parties, graduating, and then going to college. They never found Gremlin. Whatever happened to him will always be a mystery to my dad and Eddie. Maybe Gremlin got lost in the woods and became a feral cat. Perhaps someone found Gremlin and adopted him. Or maybe, just maybe, something got him. Either way, Gremlin was never seen again. Incident 2. The Hooting Years later, my dad and grandpa decided to leave Astoria and move to Wisconsin. How do I describe Wisconsin? Well, geographically it's boring. Aside from the Great Lakes, it's just flat land for what feels like miles, and maybe you'll see some farmland and the occasional patch of deciduous forest. The reason for this is the glaciation that occurred during the last ice age, which smoothed out the state of Wisconsin like a hot iron. However, one patch of territory managed to avoid this fate. An area filled with rugged hills and thick forest, a region that the locals call the Driftless, due to being free of any sign of glacial drift. My grandparents owned a plot of land in this area, mostly forest but he used it with the occasional field of land for growing crops and herding cattle. My dad sometimes visited this area and encountered two more strange situations he didn't quite understand. One night, while my dad was on my grandparents' porch, my grandparents' house sits on the side of the hill bordering an even taller hill filled with oak and birch trees. He began hearing some strange hooting in the forest atop the higher hills next to the house. It almost sounded similar to coyotes, except it was slightly off. According to my dad, it didn't quite sound like coyotes. As mentioned before, my dad grew up near forested areas and told me he knew what coyotes sounded like. He told me these were no coyotes. It sounded like something impersonating them. And judging by multiple cries, there were numerous of them. My dad decided to play along. He began imitating the sounds, only to hear the moans grow louder and angrier. Whatever made those sounds was suddenly pissed off at my dad, and it wanted to clarify that he was not welcome there. My dad chuckled softly and decided, okay, I had my filth for tonight, and went back inside. And so my dad began sleeping in the guest bedroom. He was sleeping peacefully late that night when suddenly he heard a loud bang emanating from the house. Now my dad tells me that this was a huge thump that he heard that woke him up immediately like something took a massive club and smacked the walls of the house from the outside. Now my dad was freaked out. What had made that sound? Was it related to the hooting? At first my dad thought the bang would be the result from a ghost, but nowadays he's not so sure. Fast forward to hunting season out in the driftless. The trees have barely any leaves left. The tall grass is starting to turn brown and curl down. 
My cousin and uncle were hunting in the woods that year and managed to shoot three deer in a clearing not too far from my grandparents' house. My dad saw the three deer and thought they managed to catch a good catch, so they decided to return to the barn and grab a tractor and trailer to transport the newly killed deer. By the time they returned to the clearing, they had seen one of the deer had gone missing. So the three of them were like, um, what the hell? What happened to one of the deer? So after packing two deer into the trailer, my dad, cousin, and uncle began searching the nearby forest for the deer carcass. Eventually, they found the deer, a few hundred yards from where it originally was. But that's not the creepy part. The weird part is, is that whatever found this deer had the strength to drag it and rip off one of its legs and clean out the socket. They didn't chew it off. They didn't claw it off. Whatever this thing was just grabbed the leg and tore it clean off. For this one, I've looked up what it could be. I'd imagine a coyote or a wolf not being that strong. My mind immediately thought of a black bear or maybe some sort of other bear that could potentially live in the area. However, according to the DNR, black bears are very rare in the region my grandparents' farm is in, which is Richland County. So, while it's not plausible, it is possible. I think it's unlikely that it was a black bear, though. Plus, if it was a black bear, why didn't the bear grab its fill from the carcass and then leave when the humans approached, like it normally would? Like, why would it drag it off, rip off an arm, and then dip out, you know? Even if you want to argue that the bear smelled the people nearby and decided to take the corpse somewhere else, why did it just take the leg when the people came and found it? That does I, I just don't get it. Then again, there were no signs of bite marks, claw marks, or anything else, so it makes me wonder what could have actually have done this. So that leaves me with a quandary about all of these events. I don't know what could explain these events and my dad still holds on to the fact that he doesn't know how to describe them. So it's a fun mystery and a good story to tell around the campfire. Missing from the Cabin by Sonora 1 4th of July weekend in 2011, a buddy of mine, who we'll refer to as Todd, ended up in a precarious situation. What follows is the story as he told it to me. It was supposed to be a fun weekend up into the hills and into the woods. Todd and his friend Troy had a joint cabin they owned. Troy was to introduce Todd to a girl he also invited over. So naturally, Todd was looking forward to some devious fun for themselves downstairs for some alone time. Unfortunately, shortly after Todd and his date disappeared downstairs, Troy decided to go out for a little while. A while later, as Todd and his date were, you know, getting into it, Troy returned to his cabin with some company. Upon hearing foreign voices upstairs, Todd went upstairs to see who was there. To Todd's dismay, he found that Troy had brought someone who he disliked, a guy named Ace. For the sake of this story, seeing Ace, Todd got angry and an argument ensued between Todd and Troy while poor Ace stood there awkwardly near the doorway. Q Troy's girlfriend entered, only to stand next to Ace with a bewildered expression on her face. Todd had initially rushed upstairs in his boxers thinking that it was just guys that had arrived, so he and Troy quickly went downstairs to argue further. As Todd and Troy's argument diminished, Troy decided that he, his girlfriend and Ace would go night swimming at a nearby creek for a little while just to cool off. For whatever reason, Troy threw on Todd's shorts to swim in, which had Todd's keys, wallet, and smoke in the pockets. Unfortunately, Troy and his company had already been gone for a few minutes before Todd realized what had happened. So Todd and his date continued downstairs until Troy, Ace, and Troy's girlfriend returned to the cabin. As Todd heard them returning, he went upstairs to confront Troy, fuming. 
Todd demanded his shorts back while yelling about his stuff in the pockets during Troy's swim. As the two argued back and forth, Troy's girlfriend, Todd's date, and Ace tried to blend in with the wallpaper. Todd demanded that Troy give him his shorts back right then and there. Troy informed him that he would not be stripping down in front of everyone. That was when Ace cut in to have Troy's back, making the argument even worse, unfortunately. But Ace knew Todd had quite a reputation for fighting and not losing, so he jumped into the argument to prove himself to Troy. Finally, after a bit of arguing, Troy and his girlfriend left in Todd's shorts again. Ace stayed behind, though for some reason, maybe because Troy had gone out with his backpack full of personal and essential items. Eventually, Todd and his date went back downstairs to go back at it. Of course, Ace stayed upstairs and kept company with Todd's pit bull. They all expected Troy and his girlfriend to return that night, at least for his backpack. But when everyone woke up the following day, they realized that Troy and his girlfriend had not returned to the cabin. Everyone was quite puzzled about that. They wondered what Troy was up to. But since Troy had left his cell phone in his backpack, they had all just hung out around the cabin and waited for him. The second night came with no word from Troy or his girlfriend. They really started to worry when they got up on the third day and there was still no sign of Troy. Alarm bells were going off for the trio. Todd decided to try calling Troy's girlfriend again like he had the previous day when her phone was switched off. That day it finally rang and she picked up. Fear crept in her voice when she realized that Troy was not back at the cabin like she assumed he would have been. So she and Todd agreed to call around and see if they could track Troy down. But no one had heard from Troy at all. Next, a panicking Todd called a few friends up the isolated... Next, a panicking Todd called a f Next, a panicking Todd called a few friends up to the isolated cabin to help search the nearby woods for Troy. There was not a single trace of Troy. Todd decided to call Troy's girlfriend and have her report Troy missing. So she did just that, but when asked about Troy's last known whereabouts, she gave an honest answer. She told them that Troy was last seen at his cabin having a heated argument with Todd. The problem was that Todd had a well-known reputation for fighting and not generally losing. At this point, in the following events, Troy had been missing for three days, so he was declared lost, but apparently they decided they should take it seriously. The following morning, Todd, his date, and Ace were fast asleep only to be startled to hear both the front door kicked in and people running in all around the roof everywhere. The SWAT teams had flooded in, subduing the trio inside. At one point, one of the SWAT officers said, I will shoot you and I will shoot that f***ing dog. Upon hearing that, Ace suddenly popped his face up from the floor, exclaiming, why are you going to shoot the dog? Don't shoot the dog. Of course the dog did not get hurt at all. What came next was the trio getting questioned by a couple of detectives portraying in the usual good cop, bad cop scenario like you see in the movies. Unfortunately for Todd, though, he was the last person seen with Troy and they were arguing. Couple that with Todd's reputation for fighting, making Todd the number one and only suspect in Troy's disappearance. It also didn't help that the detectives had found some clothing left by the hot tub and some of the dresses had drops of blood on them. Though, Todd insisted that he didn't even know whose clothes they were. Search and rescue came in next to comb the surrounding woods and for any clues as to where Troy's whereabouts could be. They searched for hours while Todd, Ace, and Todd's date were still being questioned heavily, but they focused mainly on Todd. After a couple of hours of interrogation, Todd finally got irritated and insisted, that since Troy had been missing for three days, he could either be dead or alive. Still, they should be focusing their efforts on finding Troy. Oblivious to Todd and company was the fact that Search and Rescue had located Troy deep in the woods, an hour away from his cabin. Troy had passed out on a large rock, naked, just hours away from his demise. 
The next thing that Todd, his Dayton ace, and detectives heard was the sound of the search and rescue helicopter's chopper blades cutting through the air and getting closer to the cabin. As they peered at the door, they saw them approaching with Troy suspended in a blue diaper-like thing from it. The helicopter was looking for a safe place to lower Troy enough for the emergency ground personnel to reach him. As the smoke cleared, the whole situation became a bit more understandable a couple of days later. Todd was informed about the facts leading up to Troy's disappearance. Troy and his girlfriend left the cabin the night he vanished to cool off after the argument with a nice walk in the woods surrounding the house. But before they went for their walk, Troy's girlfriend stole his debit card. Shortly after setting out on their walk, Troy and his girlfriend got into an argument. They separated after that, and Troy's girlfriend ended up walking back to the main road, where she'd call for a ride, leaving Troy in the woods assuming he'd find its way back to the cabin. So basically, Troy's girlfriend turned her phone off for the next couple of days to avoid Troy's angry phone calls about his debit card while she partied the whole time. When she did finally turn her phone back on, she received Todd's concerned call about Troy. She was shocked to learn that Troy had been missing for the last few days. Troy ended up being relatively okay considering the circumstances. Todd moved out of state shortly after, which dissolved the friendship. As far as Ace, Todd's date, and Troy's girlfriend, well, they're in the wind. I'm almost positive, though, that none of the people involved in this story will ever be able to forget the events that took place over that fateful three days at the cabin. My Friend's Wendigo Story by Deadly Goddess 111 This story isn't mine, but my good friend's, and I've never seen her this shaken while telling me a story before. She is the most genuine and open person I know, so I believed every word when she told me the story. I don't want to use her real name, so I will call her Jen. Jen and I like to talk about pretty much anything and everything when we reconnect. But one thing we love to talk about is spirits in the supernatural. I'm Native American, so stories about skimwalkers or similar mystical beings are alien to me. I even have my own stories. Jen likes to go to open fields on nights with full moons, We've done it together a few times, and it's like a uniquely surreal experience. But one night, she went with a different friend that we will call Jessica. She and Jessica went to an open field and started walking through it. But this was different than other nights. Jen felt off. She thought she was hearing twigs snap behind her. She has bipolar disorder, so she thought it could just be in her head. But she was overwhelmed with this feeling that she couldn't explain. She just felt on edge and felt like she was being watched in every direction. They continued to walk, stopping in the middle of the field. Jen starts looking around, and if you have ever been in the middle of the woods with a full moon out, you know how it can just light up absolutely anything that isn't covered in trees. She saw something, and she bolted, not saying a word. She left Jessica behind, but Jessica was quick to react and followed behind. They got into the car, Jen locks the doors, and she rips out of there. Jen was hysterical crying and yelling, did you see that? Over and over to Jessica. Jessica didn't see a thing, but she felt the same way Jen did when she heard a sound that she does not know how to explain. Jen says she saw something that shook her to her core. As she was looking around, she heard a branch snap and look over. About nine feet off the ground, peeking around a tree, she saw a pale white face. I'll explain to you how she explained it to me the best I can. She said it was like looking into the husk of a humanoid, with no emotion, no life, nothing. The eyes were non-existent, and they only had a few strands of what looked like hair. 
She couldn't see if it had a mouth, but she said where the mouth was supposed to be, there was a red stain, which she believed to be blood. As she told me this story, she trembled and even cried. I've never ever seen her that way, and I trust her with my whole being, so I trust every word she says. I had to comfort and calm her down after she told me this. She still sees that face in her dreams sometimes. I hope she recovers from this experience, but it'll stick with you forever when you experience something so traumatic. I have a lot of stories to tell, and many of my friends have opened up to me about theirs, so maybe there will be more to come if you guys enjoyed this one. Urbex in the Woods by Jake Before I begin this story, I want to say that this story is 100% true and occurred about 9 months ago. My friends and I used to love urban exploring in high school. We had gone to many places in or around our town and were somewhat experienced at this point. We decided to revisit this abandoned mental asylum on this cold, wintry night. This place was huge and very remote for apparent reasons. When I say it was huge, I mean it was the size of a small college campus in the middle of the woods. So my four friends and I arrived at this asylum around midnight. It was freezing this night, so we planned on staying inside as much as possible. Not that that would really help with all the busted windows. We started our journey across the campus to check out some of the buildings we missed the last time we had visited. For some background, most buildings were eradicated, windows smashed, and everything inside was trashed and graffitied. However, a few buildings still had windows, which meant they were probably staying more warm inside. So, we explored two significant school-like buildings, and it was relatively uneventful. We cracked jokes, took pictures and videos, and had fun overall. This was when we decided to explore one of the smaller two-story buildings. This building was completely overgrown, but was mostly intact. All the windows were present, except for one with a sound-sized hole in the glass. The back and side door was locked, but we managed to force the front door open. As we were about to enter, we noticed one of those metal food trays that people usually put a salad in at parties next to the door. We honestly didn't really think much of it. We had seen a lot of weird things while exploring, and this was nowhere near the top of that list if I'm going to be real with you. We entered and started walking around, shining our flashlights everywhere, every which way. The inside of this building was trashed. Contrary to the outside, the first floor had a lot of dust in the air. So three of my friends decided to head out front and wait for my other friend, who I'll call Jason, for this story and me. After finding nothing extraordinary in the basement or the first floor, we headed upstairs. As we turned to head up the stairs, we noticed the stairs were clogged with chairs and furniture, making it incredibly challenging to maneuver our way up. This should have been another red flag, but of course we're too naive. Like, why would an area be blocked off if it wasn't for a good reason? We checked out a couple of office-type rooms and found some astounding paperwork and stuff that had been left behind. One room was gone when we reached to the end of the side of the hall. This door was closed, which was not unusual, so we tried the handle. It was locked. We tried option two, which was to kick, but nothing. Last, we tried the body of the door open, and it, it just wouldn't move. We said screw it and went to check on the other side of the second floor, but we heard the door creak open as we turned to walk. We turned and looked to confirm, but it was not open far enough to see anything more than the pitch black room inside. We pause for a second, and as we stand there confused, the door flings open. We see movement, obviously a person in dark clothing. We both turn and sprint to the stairs, jumping about 10 to 12 steps over the mountain of trash on the stairs. 
our friends. Inside of the stairs at the front door, see us do this slightly confused for a second, but quickly picked up on what was happening. We all ran the probable mile back to the car, absolutely freezing our asses off. Once we got to the car, we warmed up and explained what had happened to our friends. We determined it was probably a homeless person taking shelter in that building since it was somewhat warm compared to the 20 degrees outside. Nevertheless, still a scary experience because we have no idea what that person's intentions were when they flung that door open on us. We don't think they chased us, but they were not catching us, as we were all high school athletes and we were, and we were high on adrenaline. We have gone back since, but have not gone near that particular building. I want to stress that when exploring urban areas, watch for signs of people living in places, as you never know how they might react. Thanks for listening to these creepy and downright strange in the woods horror stories. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it and that helps the swamp grow its ever-expanding waters. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to never miss a new video as I upload them nearly every single day. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight. It's always so tough to pick one, I know, but it helps me figure out what stories to pick in the future and what stories that you guys like to hear the most. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's something from the great outdoors or something different, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I also take stories on reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. Don't forget to join me over on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, all those other things. If you want early access and ad-free viewing of my videos, you can also join me over on Patreon. You can find a link in the description. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.